Okay. I just want to get right into the things, right into the message. Steve did an amazing job two weeks ago. And, you know, he said, I'm not sure about the title, but it would be The Great Disruption or something. But I could call it Supremacy of Christ. I feel like saying the same thing this morning. So the title of the message is The Great Disruption. Um, Steve's message was on the vision of changing the world through making disciples. And he talked about that being the biblical value of the church. And then he talked about the second part of the disruption, which is the Great Commission. It's a disruption of fulfilling the Great Commission or making apprentices or disciples as you go. That's the big review. But there's a prerequisite, a preeminent disruption that has to take place before this idea of making disciple makers. Because if you remember a few weeks ago, we've been talking on this, right? We don't want to become a church that makes disciples. We want to be a church that makes disciple makers. You see the difference. One is just adding people and establishing the Christ. The other is making disciple makers that actually make disciples and we're reproducing exponentially what we really feel like the Bible says. It is supposed to be, the church is supposed to be a reproductive organism of disciples of Christ all over the globe. And that's our heart. That's our prayer. Amen. Okay, some people have had some coffee. Now, there is this preeminent disruption that must take place before we become makers of disciple makers. And that is we become one. Now, some of you are saying, I'm already a disciple, an apprentice. I've been serving the Lord for this many years. And I challenge you that your apprenticeship with Christ, the Son of God, the living word is never over. You are in a lifelong learning process. And it doesn't matter how long you've saved, served the Lord. And, you know, and I want to say this too, like, you know, those in your, in your 50s, 60s, it's common when there's things that maybe happened way back, years and decades ago in your heart that God chooses at that prime age to just uncover and bring to the surface. They've never seen the light of day. Identity issues, things deep in your heart that you've never faced and really you may not have even known about and then all of a sudden they surface and you're like, what is going on with my life, my heart? This wasn't here for 40 years. And God's like, yeah, well, now I want to take it and I want to expose it and say, deal with this. I want to heal those fractures. I want to heal those places. So I just want to have that as a little disclaimer there for some of you in that age range and say, if you feel like you're going berserko because you're dealing with something you've not dealt with in your life, it's probably because it's the appointed time and season for God to do what he wants to do deep, deep in your heart. So... I'm glad some 56-year-olds were listening and said amen. I want to look at Romans 12, a couple scriptures, and then this isn't going to be a long message because I want you to be left with this stark challenge. And that is, are you a disciple of Christ? And I don't want you to be religious and throw out how many years you've served him. I want us to come to grips with the fact that we need to continually be transformed 
into the image of Christ. I want to look at Romans 12. It's a powerful scripture. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You know, it's not about singing songs. You know, we do that because we're focusing our hearts and our devotion to God. But true worship, folks, is letting him change your life, that it is a burning example to everyone who sees you. Letting him change the stubbornness, the pride. We're going to talk about the main disruptions that take place in a person as they're on their journey with the Lord. Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove, prove with your life, what is the will of God and that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is what we're to prove with our lives. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you that not to think more highly of yourself than you ought, but to think as to have sound judgment as God allowed to each a measure of faith. For just as, many, as there are many parts of the body and all the parts do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually parts of one another. It's talking about this interconnected, interrelated Family, like one part suffers, we all suffer. One part benefits, we all benefit. However, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us use them properly. And we're going to skip down to nine. Love must be free of hypocrisy. This is really just a description of what it means. Like what are visible expressions of someone who says, I am a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. Love must be free of hypocrisy. Detest what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in the Spirit, serving the Lord. See, these are all ways. Like, you don't serve the Lord you can't say that you are an acceptable worship unto God. You've got to think opposites. Like, if you aren't, if these things aren't visible in your life, I question, are you really a disciple? Have you really surrendered your life? Have you really allowed Christ the opportunity to transform you daily to where, I mean, this is another indicator. You say, I haven't really noticed much major change in the past year of my life. You've got a problem, Houston. Or Boston. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. Oh, I'm a single person though. I just stop by Market Basket and buy some cookies. Throw them on the table, say, be warm, be filled. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. I don't care 
who you are, what gender you are, how old you are, practice hospitality. Learn it. It's one of the biggest skill sets that we are called to have as a Christian. Practicing hospitality. Extending the warmth of the gospel to people. Rejoice. Oh, this is a good one. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never repay evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all people. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. God is able to pay back evil. And, and that's where you, really, that's where you have to leave that to God. And, and if you have an issue with that and have a hard time letting go of that control, that's another very bad sign that you are not a disciple. Like, disciple isn't just this warm, fuzzy idea. The proof is in the pudding. If you are a disciple, you have a transformed life that is not conformed to the world, but conformed to his word and his truth. The expression of heaven on earth, right? Okay, uh, second, um, just because Timothy got baptized, I had to share out of Timothy 4. Um, verse 12 through 16, I want to look at that. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. Really, this is just immaturity. But rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. These are all attributes, right? Show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give your, give your attention to the public reading, exhortation, and teaching. So what do we have there? We have the, the written word of God as a catalyst for all of this. This is what it comes down to. That's why you, can, you should be able to name almost every message that comes out of here as supremacy of Christ. Because it's all about Christ, it's all about his supremacy, and it's all about us submitting, surrendering to him, and letting, us, letting him change us, right? No matter how old you are. Come on, yeah, good preaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift in you, which was granted to you through words of prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. Okay, we're going to say that once more. Take pains with these things. It means like worry about them. Be absorbed. You know what that word means? It means be consumed. Like constantly thinking, worrying in, 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 a, in a, like a relatable context, right? Worry about, Lord, do that work in me. Here's my life. Take me. Change me. So that your progress will be evident to all. Another condition of being a disciple is that everybody around you sees the growth. Even your spouse. Uh-oh. I dare you, I double dare you to ask your spouse. Yeah, double dog dare you. Ask your spouse, so do you see transformation in my life? Noah got it. <laughs> He's laughing. 
I'm serious. It's, it's asking those daring questions and say, what do you see? You don't have to go so far. I don't double-dog dare you to, like, ask what they are. You know, this is, this is the problem. Way back when we talked about those levels of discipleship, that national study on discipleship, right? Remember level two, which was plateaued, neither helping nor hindering disciple-making? Those who are not disciples are in this category. Those who claim to be Christian and claim to love the Lord, but yet they are not hindering or helping. If you are a disciple, you help. It is like you can't even control it. If you're a disciple of Christ, you are contagious. You're an evangelist. You're an encouragement. You're an inspiration to everyone around you because your progress is being made known to everybody. (laughs) Yeah, come on. So this is why, if you remember a few weeks ago, like when we saw this, um, the apostolic team was really praying like, what? You know, what's the focus? Where do we need to be? And we are talking about, like, the, our body, which we talk about, like, all the time, every day. Seriously. And we were talking about how many people do you think, even though I'd say a good majority of the church has gone through first principles, how many people in the church, what percentage do you think are established? So we went around, and we were all about the same 10%. 300-member church, maybe 30 people in the entire church that we would say are established. Doesn't mean they've arrived, but they're established in the faith, which means they are taking the first principles, and they are living them, and they fully understand them, and they understand how it causes someone to change the way they live, and they're doing that. When I, I guess I've never really, it never really entered into my mind, like, how dismal that is. But it was like articulated and it became very tangible and we were like, oh, we have to do something about this. And then we, you know, came across this national study on discipleship and coming to find out that there is like 2% of the church that are doing even level four, not even level five, which is this viral expansion of the gospel where people are responding to Christ, being saved, coming to that saving knowledge, and then being changed to where they're reproducing disciples. And so when we came across this, we're like, this is really bad. Because, I mean, our forte as a church is disciple-making. It's what we've, we've lived for for decades, from youth storm all the way to planting the churches as an attempt to plant healthy families, right? And so, and we've seen God grow and move so I, I want to take a few minutes here, though, because it's, I love what Steve said last week. Big claims are easy to stand behind. Like, do you believe in God? You would find a gazillion people across America who say, I believe in God. But does that really matter much? I love, um, where's, uh, is Destiny here? Or is she in the other room? Oh, Destiny, stand up. Oh, she's on the camera. Uh, stand up in the other room and just stand in front of the camera and um, if you can just like show your the back of your shirt, the youth storm shirt. Look at that. It says, well the hood, yeah, there. Okay. It says, even the demons believe and tremble. That's a scripture. And way back when we started youth storm in 2000, we had this revelation that 
What big deal is it to believe in God? Demons believe and they tremble. And there's a lot of human beings or Christians, quote unquote, who believe in God and don't tremble. So, I mean, demons are better than people, a lot of people. Because at least they have a corresponding fear of the Lord to the belief in God. And a lot of humans have no fear of God. They just say, oh, I'm a Christian. And we think we could just say that without giving our life to him as our Lord and Savior. We like, oh, I like the Savior part. Yeah, I'm saved from any kind of penalty of sin. Yes. But we don't have this fear of the Lord that realizes, oh, there is a requirement. If he is my Lord and Savior, I have to die to myself. I have to carry my cross, and I have to become his. So I wanted to share a little bit. Where is my phone? Oh, because I didn't, somehow it was not shared and I couldn't transfer it to my notes. But I've tried to think of some very practical things that I could share with you. And Steph's going to come and share a few things. Because wherever you are in your journey, whether you just came to the knowledge, the saving knowledge of Jesus, and you're like, I prayed this prayer and gave my life to Jesus three months ago. Okay, you have certain things in your journey that you are having a great disruption in. Because when we're talking about this, before we talk about making disciples, you've got to become one. And the whole key to being a disciple of Christ is that you live in a continual place of being disrupted by the word of the living God. What that means is it doesn't matter if you served him 40 years, you better be postured for a disruption when your life does not line up with the word of Christ. The written word. And, um, I mean, it, it's our heart. The church leadership here is not static and saying, we got this figured out. No, no one has Christ figured out. In the sense of knowing his infinite wisdom, knowledge, truth, and we are in a journey of constantly seeing fresh things where God says, you know, fresh things, not as the word changes and offers fresh things, deeper understandings, revelations, application of you read the word, a scripture you've read your whole life, and then all of a sudden, 20 years later, you read that and God speaks to you and says, ah, you see how this applies to your life? And you're like, Dang. Wow. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I don't like this. This is not in alignment with your word. Change me. And you, you ask him to come in and do some great work. If you have met anybody who thinks that they don't have to be changed anymore, run from them. They are arrogant, proud, and smelleth. Okay, so, I mean, out of my own life, and, and what I was saying is, I want you to have real clear practical ideas of what it means to be disrupted by the word of God. And so, for those of you who are young in the faith, I'm going to share a few things right now that, in my own life, how I encountered the word and it disrupted me, caused a complete change from the course of living according to the principles of the world to a 
massive shift in the opposite direction to live according to kingdom principles and the word of God, the written word, the Bible. And so, but then we're going to get into some things, I think, when Steph and I share in a little bit after these few things where you're going to start to see like, wow, 50 years old and you're getting these disruptions in your life calling you to shift and change. So the first one is like, it was one of the main disruptions of my life. I went to church for a very long time, a Bible-believing, preaching church. And, but I was just doing what I didn't want to do. And I was raised in the church, but I went on this course where I just decided I'm going to sex, drugs, and rock and roll, baby. And so I did that. And I remember I had this encounter with God and everything started shifting. It was just me and God. I was on a bike ride. And I felt like I spent a year with God in, in like 10 minutes. And I, I, I left saying, that's it. Everything in my life is changing. I'm done. And you know, I don't even disagree with drinking. But at that point in time, I felt like I need to break every single thing I am doing according to the system of the world. I want a fresh start in a whole different direction. And I didn't drink. 15 years, like because I said, it is done. My old way is done. I am starting a whole new way. I'm going to just be like a child and say, teach me. Teach me how to walk differently, talk differently, see differently. And so that was one of those things. But the biggest thing was I remember my senior year prom, and I was in this, it was the best year of high school I've ever had. It was I moved to a different school in Akron, Ohio, and joined this state championship swim team that was super uh, competitive, and I mean, you spent six hours a day training with these group of guys and girls that you became, we became family, and it was an incredibly enriching environment, and I encountered the Lord the summer before that year, and I remember going to prom and this girl on the team was like, hey, like, let's go to prom together. And then after I said yes and everything like that, well, she wants to get a room, a hotel room after and sleep together. And at that time, I had this affinity to God, but I didn't, I know this is hard to believe, but I mean, I grew up in a Christian home that wasn't founded and established in the word. It was a lot of feelings like, just sentiments of, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God. But there was no, you know, hard study and proof of what that meant out of the scripture. So I remember going to this youth leader that was a woman that, and I felt really like I could fight. And I said, can you pray for me? Like, I just don't know what to do. Like, this girl wants to get a room with me, and I really like her. I think I might have said I love her, you know. A youthful use of the word love. Doesn't have a clue, but your hormones are saying, love. So I asked her, and she didn't say, oh, you can't do that. She said, oh, really? I will pray for you. And here, I have a Josh McDowell tape series for you to listen to. And it was a tape series. And I went home, and like any good teenager does, and I started cranking it while I cleaned my car all day. Because I had this really nice Buick Skylark. And so I did that all day. I think I listened to like six hours after church, after I got this thing of this. And I was educated by 
Josh McDowell on what purity means, what it means to have a sanctified, pure sexual life. And I said, why? I've never heard of this before. Like when you are with a woman, your heart is fused, and then when you break up, it's ripped to pieces. And then if you have multiple situations like this, your paper is ripped in a bunch of different pieces, and you're fragmented. And so I, I had a revelation. I said, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm a disciple of Christ. And everything shifted. And I told the girl, I said, you know, I'm sorry. I can't get a room with you because I love Jesus more than you. And if I do this, it's really not going to be healthy for that relationship because I love Jesus. And so she told me in the next week, you know, I think you ought to go to prom with my friend. And I was like, good riddance. There's other things like, Steph, why don't you come up here too, just because I like you standing me, standing next to me. You know, do you remember when you first came to the Lord? Maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't have this part of your faith journey. But do you remember when you came to the Lord, a huge other disruption was, I am going to reformat my whole schedule to spend an hour in the Word and prayer every single day. Do you remember how much growth happened? Because the Word of God is the catalyst to transformation. And if you have disconnected yourself from the Word of God, I don't care if it's, well, you know, I've served the Lord a long time. I know this stuff. You have been deceived. You need the Word of God to keep this fresh. Now, these are some of the basic things, but now we're going to move into some things like when you've served the Lord a long time, what are the ways that God's Word disrupts you? So... Yeah, I'm going to give it to you. Okay. Um, and, I'm, and I'm going to go in and I'm going to share a couple of practical stories. But I, but I do want to say as he's sharing, um, I just really want to lay out, it, we are in a remarkable time. And there is, there's been a crisis in missions for the last four decades that they've recognized that the church isn't making disciples. But in the church in the West, there's that same kind of crisis, and God is dealing with it in this hour, and he's maturing the church. And we've been talking about this over and over. And so what he's talking about, it's very significant in each of our lives, regardless of whether we've been saved 50 years or two months, God is looking for a people and so these practical things that he's talking about, they're things that we need to make sure are evident in our lives. And so some of the, the places in, in, in my life that, that were, there were drastic changes made was, well, like with my salvation, once I got saved, man, the day I got saved, everything changed in my life. Everything changed. I had met the one who loves me, that knows me, and every, everything was filtered through that. And then... As I went on, I was a, Baptist, a Southern Baptist girl. I was really um, established in the word as a Southern Baptist. But what that did to me is it caused me to be so established and um, self-righteous that I had no ability to reach the world. 
And so there was another point in life that I came to that I had an encounter with the Lord, and everything changed at that moment, that I came out of my religiosity, and God began to develop in me an ability to love the lost in a way that I could relate to them. As a Southern Baptist, they're the heathen, and you just <laughs> preach to them <laughs> and hope that their soul is going to be saved. Um, um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, like I'll, he's wanting me to give you the example of like I would, um, I would, I had a car that had like a sunroof, and I had this huge sign that said "Repent and be saved," and at stoplights I would roll down the sunroof <laughs> and hold up the sign. <laughs> um, I did, I did, I did crazy things like that. Which, I mean, I love Jesus. I was just trying to. But, um, but it wasn't effective in terms of, like, being a witness <laughs> of Christ. Um, so, um, so I'm saying, God, but God was transforming me. And at some point, he had to, I, I had to be confronted with that and, and change. And, and this is like every denomination that you see that, that has been created in history, it's from a group of people that would not change when the Spirit of the Lord came. God is always moving and growing us, and there's epics and times and seasons in the body. And if we do not move with the Father, then we end up stuck in our box, not changing anything. And so this is, it's, it's these practical areas. And just recently I got a, a text from a friend that was asking me about uh, what, what is it to be a Christian in social groups? What, what difference does it make? Like, because I'm around people and it doesn't matter. And as I began to answer that question, I became convicted. Because I was saying to the answer, saying, well, we, we're people, once you meet Jesus, you're a person that's transformed and you carry the power of Christ inside of you. And as you walk around, you're demonstrating and, and, and the, the love of Christ. You're, you're an active, um, explosive vessel of the power and presence of God. And so you walk into a room and you meet people and there's an exchange. And Steve talked about this in, in his message. He was saying if there's not some um, action, uh, conflict is the word that he used, but it's, it's a reaction to the power of God. People should recognize that on us. And as I'm answering this, I'm saying, oh my gosh, like God, like, like, am, am I, like, I don't think I'm there. Like, I think I need to be transformed more. Like, I need more presence in my life. And this is what God is doing in this hour. He wants a people of the presence that when we, when we make the claim that we're a disciple of Christ, there is, there's, a, a, there's tangible evidence on us that when people encounter us, they are encountering the life of the living God. And there's like, what is that? What is with you? What's around that person? And some people will be drawn to it, and some people will be repulsed by it. But that should be happening on a regular basis if we're where God wants us to be as a true discipler and follower of Christ, where he's become the Lord of our lives and everything is filtered through the lordship of Christ. So every question in life, we're filtering it through, Lord, what does your word say? What, what, what are, is your opinion on this? It doesn't matter what I think, what I feel, what is the opinion of the Lord? And spending time with him to be transformed by him. Because that's one of the things that really has changed my life has been time with the Lord. When I was a teenager, right after I got saved, I spent an hour with the Lord every day in prayer. Some boring prayer even. 
It wasn't even exciting. But I'll tell you, God began to change my life in that time. I, it was a given time. It was a sacrifice of time. And that's a lot for, like, an 18-year-old. Like, I, I had to be at school at, like, 730. And so I was literally up, like, up spending time because I wanted to know this God that had saved me. But throughout time, there's been different times and seasons in my own life that that's, that's ebbed and flowed. But I'll tell you what, when, when it um, ebbs too much, you'll start finding the dryness coming and the application where your life is demonstrating the beauty of Christ all of a sudden becomes dimmer and lighter and fainter to the world around you. And so he's, what, what we're challenging you with is to say God is in this hour looking for us to be a vibrant people, a people that are in his presence, and as we're in his presence, it washes away the dullness of the culture around us that has compromised the word of God, that has compromised our hearts in living vibrant and solid in purity and truth and counterculture. We, we become even like when um, in, in our effort to be uh, relevant to the world, we begin to compromise and dim our colors so that confrontation isn't quite so aggressive. Well, it's not an aggression. It's when you're walking in truth and you're saturated with the love of God, there's a depth to it that it's not like me holding my sign and condemning you. It's when you're confronted with the presence, it's a different type of conviction. It's not judgment. It's literally the conviction of the Lord that either draws or repulses. It's this deep, grounded, established kind of walk that when, you, when you're transformed and you walk in a room, all of a sudden people, and this is the stories of the revivalists. They would walk just down the street and people would fall on their face and start repenting to God. It was just the presence of God around them would cause conviction of heart, true conviction, not, not somebody feeling bad or feeling sorry, but that their hearts were pierced with the presence of a holy God and a recognition of the desperation of needing to be saved. And this is what God is calling us to as a people, is to have real application, real change, real demonstration, real love for one another, real unity in the body. In every, every small issue that we kind of just overlook, in, as you get into the mode of just living Christian, and you just do things, you're kind of living somewhat, you know, basically righteous. That's not what God's asking us to do, is to just live this basic life that, well, I'm not doing anything crazy. I'm not, I'm not at the bars. I'm not out, you know, doing like flagrant sin. Um, but that's not what he's after. He's after this depth of transformation that looks just like Jesus. And that's what, that's what we're, we're, we're moving to change. And so we're appealing to you to come into a place of deep humility, to recognize no matter where you are in your life, that we need to constantly be listening for the conviction of the Spirit and the, and the, uh, the um, wisdom of the Spirit to say change. And we've seen it in even big moments like with, um, with our ministry. We've seen God grow us in this uh, when we were used storm, because of some of the baggage and hurts of the past with the church, we didn't use the word church. We didn't like church. We didn't want to be a church. Um, we used the word community, kingdom, all these really great, awesome biblical words um, that sort of took us away from the accountability and the responsibility of church and family. We were community. And they were all great things, but then as God, but it's not biblical. God's not done with his church. He's coming back for his church. He loves his bride. 
And so we had misaligned ourselves because of our stuff. But as we went on and as the Spirit of the Lord began to speak to us, as we stepped into places of more truth, as we began to seek him and spend time with him, revelation the spirit came and as an entire movement we said we've got to get rid of some of our our wrong thinking from the past and we've realigned ourselves and it, i mean it's a huge thing it's it's totally drastically changed our church family here um but it's that willingness to move into that place of change as a people um i just we just were down with the um city church build um network city church guys when we go to sean's doctoral cohort and um, I was sitting talking to one of the guys, and he's known us for probably about seven years. And we touch base with them every six months or something. We go out, and, we, and he looked at me, and he goes, you guys just, like, if, if you see it in the Word, you just change. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess, I guess. And he was saying that, I think, because of the household order, because we were very, very egalitarian, um, or we, at least we thought we were. I think we actually operated in, in a very complementarian way, but we... Um, but we went to Gordon Conwell, which is egalitarian, so we like really were, that's what we'd preach. And so then as we've been, again, going into scripture, learning about household order, um, roles and responsibilities from, from God, um, we just changed. We, we looked at the word and we began, became convicted and we shifted. And so this guy, all of a sudden, I, I, I thought it was remarkable that he actually said something because he said, You're, and that's what we're talking about is being that kind of people that are willing to, no matter where you are in your walk, you're not so um, held down with, with stuff that's not even aligned with scripture. You need to be filtering your, your ideas and your ideologies through the scriptures and, and that always changes because what you, the revelation, it doesn't change, the truth is the truth, but I'm saying your revelation changes as you grow. Even at this point, like when, um, like each time I teach the book of Acts, one of the blue books, and we go through the beginnings of the church, if you read the answers that I wrote two years ago, today they're totally different because I've grown into a revelation. I had a revelation, I walked in that truth, and then the next thing I know, God is unveiling a deeper depth to that truth. And it's another place of change and transformation. And so this is your walk. You're always going in from glory to glory, from place to place. And it's, it's causing us, that's the heart that's willing to do that and recognize it. And you know, when Sean said, um, what did you, hold on. I'm trying to think of what he just said. Um, he was talking about arrogance. What was the word you said before arrogance? Um, oh, people thinking um, I've arrived. If, if people say that I've arrived, you know, that that's just arrogant. The problem is, is that people won't say that. They believe that, but they won't say it. And so pride is this very subtle, um, deceptive force in our lives. With the interns, we have a whole, like a little teaching we do from um, Floyd McClung on, on pride. And one of the things is, he says, you can't see it in yourself. You can't look at yourself and see your areas of pride. And so you have to go to somebody and say, hey, do you see, what do you see in me? Do you see pride in me? Because it's so deceptive. And it's, it's very, it's this subtle thing that's, it's, it's very wicked because it's, it's, it's a nuance almost of a posture that we hold in our hearts. And so as, as, Christian religious people, we would never say, oh, we've arrived, because that's not, uh, it's not appropriate, because we know we haven't. But we live, and we, we believe in the depths of our heart that we have. And we reject 
we reject teaching around us. We reject people speaking internal life, saying, hey, I see something. You know, and you, and you go up and you approach them and say, hey, I've seen this pattern in your life. No, no, that's not true. And then we make an excuse around it, why we actually did each situation, why that happened that way, when it's really something that God's wanting to deal with in your hearts. And so it's this place of applied Christianity that we, as a body together, we're rubbing one another, we're um, able to come into a depth of relationship that if I see something in your life, I can actually talk to you about it. That is a place that that um, level of just honesty is very rare. It's very hard. We're working at it as a body to get to a place that people are comfortable enough and know that they're loved enough that when somebody says, hey, dude, that's not a cool thing that you're doing, or I'm really uncomfortable with that, or what did you mean when you said that to me? But to even have that honest conversation is a hard place. We'll be like, hey, I feel like you've got an issue, like, you know, because you can sense an attitude with somebody, and you go up and you're like, hey, do you have an issue? Oh, no, everything's good. Everything, are you sure everything's fine? And then sometimes we've heard from other people that everything's not fine. And you're like, are you sure there's nothing? You don't have anything to say to me. Like, I haven't done anything to offend you. Oh, no, 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 everything's fine. You laugh, but that happens all the time. That is, that is something that happens all the time. That is the stuff. That is, the, that is not walking in discipleship. That is, that's a facade, that's arrogance, that's pride. It's, it's an unwillingness to, to say, yeah, I have a really big issue with you. I didn't like when you did whatever. That's truth. That's honesty. And where we can come and, and recognize that's how we change. Like when we come together and we're like, oh, no, everything's fine. Nobody's changing. They're not changing. I'm not changing. And I'm like saying, look, if you don't tell me, I can't change. If you don't tell me what you didn't like, I can't fix it. I can't work on it. We can't talk to you. There's a breach between us because you do have an issue. So there's not a unity in the body that is transformative, that when we come together, people see the love of Jesus. They see like a dimmed version of that. And so these are the places that God is after, that he's talking about, that Steve's been talking about. As a people, God is wanting us to move in to a maturity in depth of relationship, presence of Jesus, transformation by the gospel, and, and be willing to humble ourselves as a people. And it is vital in this hour. I'm telling you, God's eyes are looking to and fro upon the earth, looking for a people that he can show himself mighty through. But it is not going to be a people that are, that are walking in religiosity of the past, and we have had a crisis. God is changing us. He is wanting. He's, he's yelling to us every week, I'm coming to mature my bride. I am coming to mature my bride. And we must respond. We must respond in humility and honesty and purity and saying, God, come and change my life. And every, everything that we've had, that all the thoughts we've had in the past, we're laying them on the table and saying, God, this is our understanding of the word. Show us what's truth. And much of what we believe is true, but there's, there's nuances to it that we've added, added our own versions to it. We've added our own comfortability. Because sometimes the word, like Steve was saying um, when he was talking about, you know, who is my mother and brother? That's like a hard thing. And, and, and he said, and Jesus meant that. That I, 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 I am, me and my father, we're, we're the ones you're supposed to be seeking. Everything else is secondary to that. Well, that's a hard, that's a hard scripture. So we soften it because certainly Jesus didn't mean that. And we come up with our own version 
of how to not radically serve Jesus, right? Because it's a little too harsh, and surely he didn't mean that because he wants us to love everybody. And yes, there is a context of like loving your family well and everything, but it's not at the cost of him being at the center. So, so I'm not, so don't hear me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm saying Jesus is the center, and he means that in every way that he has said it. There is no soft version of that. There's no easy life around it. It is a sacrifice. We come and we, we serve the Lord of our lives. And that is where our salvation is found in, in the, the humility and coming under the Lordship and serving him with our lives. Offering our lives as a living sacrifice. Holding nothing back and saying, God, here I am. Change me. Change me. Yeah, and I want to say too, if Amen. I want to say two things like uh, when we're talking about these practical things, like we said prayer, um, sexual purity, uh, coming out of religious systems, things like that, that we were raised in, and we don't even realize how much we've been affected by them versus the scripture. And so even things like um, we're not asking that any of you just have a behavior modification and say, Okay, well, I'm just going to start doing this now. It, it needs to be to make Christ the center. Like, when I was, I don't know, 16 years old, I heard this guy preach on tithing. And he talked about how we start at 10%. That's like a baby's level. That is, if you are a disciple of Christ, you give at least 10%. It's the tutorial of the Old Testament. But I see it differently, too. And This isn't a message on tithing. It's, it goes before the law. All different kinds of people gave a 10% acknowledgement to God, saying, so anyway, I heard this great message. This guy was saying, I'm up to 30%. He's a preacher that came and said, I am determined to give 90% of what I bring in and live off a 10. And I was so inspired as a 16-year-old, I said, that's it. I'm going to start tithing because I want to give to God, not fulfill some religious duty. And can you imagine, like 16, I started seeing 10% of my checks that I earned working hard at wherever, my dad's and landscaping. And I gave that. And, you know, to this day, acknowledging that if I give to God, I'm, I'm not fulfilling this tithing regulation. I'm giving him a true sign where the proof is in the pudding it's not just this claim, oh, everything I have is the Lord, but I don't give anything. Well, that means that you really don't. So I committed to tithing and said, 10% Lord, and it's not to fulfill a regulation. I'm giving because I have these beliefs around me demonstrating to you that I will give back what you've given to me. And that that will increase. I want to increase that and give more. And then it wasn't until a couple years ago when God started releasing wealth, this promise of wealth in the church that we've, we've, we've like just been baptized with. It's an amazing thing. But this whole deeper revelation came where the Lord was saying to me, like, son, I want to increase you, and I want to play volleyball with you, with money. And I want, when I throw money to you, I want you to return and I'm going to return back to you. And it's not this prosperity gospel where, hallelujah, I'm going to buy a, you know, a Lincoln Town car. 
Um, that's what this is all about. No, it's about you as a son and daughter of the Most High God who provides you with every breath and every talent and every dollar in your pocket to acknowledge back and actually not just fulfill some regulation, but to partner with God for his enterprise on earth, which is the gospel. And so the entrustment of you being given anything, even if it's a $10 bill from work, you are going to acknowledge him back, and then he's going to send back blessing to say, oh, you've been faithful with little, I'm going to give you more. That's in every aspect, your talents, your time, your breath, your creative energy, your finances. And so this, this isn't about being regulated by certain standards. It's about all of these things we're talking about are very practical ways where it's challenging all of us to say, hey, we are going to hear the word and align our hearts. It's, it's not like a religious duty action. It's a constellation of beliefs. Like, why don't you tithe? Why don't you give to God in basic ways? Because you don't believe or trust that God will really meet your needs and he's really in partnership with you. That's the real core issue there. It's a gospel issue. It's not, it's not like maturity in Christ issue. It's a gospel issue. You don't trust God. And like I said before, I don't care what kind of claims we have with our mouth. It's how we live. So we can say all day long, we're generous. We trust God. Hallelujah. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. His grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me. Okay, we can do all that. But God's saying, oh, but why won't you even trust me with a dime on your dollar? At the end of the year, when you boil it all down, I mean, I've done this, folks. I'm Seriously, I figure out how much I made at the end of the year because you do taxes and stuff. And then I look at how much I've given. And some years I'm like, man, I thought it was up to 20% or something. And it's like seven, six. And I'm like, dang, how did I do that? So I write it in our check. And I'm like, Lord, you know, teach me to increase and give. Teach me to trust you. Teach me to prioritize and center my enterprise, my productivity around you. That's what it's, the centrality of Christ, the centrality of the church. It's all of these things. There's other things like, um, and then we're going to just close here, but you know, we used to have a pastoral care program here where people could come from any church they want to and just jump into counseling, things like that. And we started reading the shepherding book and plunging into the scripture about like the centrality of the church is the family of God, the place where, you know, and the elders, not some counseling team, is the center of all pastoral care and shepherding. We literally dismantled everything we had in this church. We all went through this whole course and reformatted everything according to what we felt the scripture said. The church is central. The eldership is the, the key agents of shepherding and pastoral care. And then we shifted everything. Some people left. They weren't happy with that. So all this to say we're all in different journeys and we all have to be in a place of responding and growing because that is what we're about. As believers, we're about placing Christ at the center. And that has unlimited expressions. 
Because the word involves every aspect of our life. You know, when it said, go and make disciples, teaching them all things. It wasn't just about theology. It's teaching disciples or apprentices how to manage their money, how to give, how to serve, how to relate to one another in the body, how to honor older people, how to treat your wives well, how to treat your husbands well. Older and younger, it's all aspects of relationship. This is all part of discipleship. So before we just respond to God today and just, and just kind of jumpstart this process that I, I hope you go and all week long you're just thinking about this and mulling over it and saying, Lord, help me. I want to be aligned to your word. In our life groups, here's some of the questions I want you to do. I want you to spend a little time talking about what were the main disruptions in your early faith. Kind of like what I did with uh, that girl from prom. That was an early faith disruption of where I actually learned, oh, you should, there, the Bible's very clear on sexuality. It's really clear on what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. I want to align my life to that, and I remember, I mean, these things... I can share them easily now, but when God's dealing with something, you know you don't want to give it. I, I think every altar call that was offered, I, in my heart, I said, I'll give you anything, Lord, except a girl. And I held my hand in my heart down, but I'd be like, anything, I respond, yes, Jesus. But there's always, if you have that, if there's ever a time where you're like, anything you want, Lord, but inside you hear, but not this. Well, you got all the answers to your problems right there. You're protecting. You're precious. And that is a bad sign. Because it makes you really ugly. Gollum was not pleasant looking. The precious transfigured him. And not into the image of Christ. So what are the main disruptions? Don't spend a lot of time on that. That's just like a little icebreaker. Everyone kind of throw out something that like was a real early disruptor. The second is what are current grace dis great disruptions taking place right now in your life? What are the current disruptions where God is saying, hey you. Boom. And you're like, I don't like this. What are they? Share. You might even find someone that's going through the, the same great disruption. And you can commiserate on how you're going to overcome. Spend a lot of time talking about that. And then right at the end, icy on the cake, not much time, but just throw it out there. What are some key disruptions taking place right now in the church? What do you feel... Like the things God's trying to do. Like we've shared ours. We've shared that we feel like it's the church needs established. We need to become makers of disciple makers. We've talked about some of that. Getting ready for the harvest. Things like that. What do you feel? What do you feel are some of the things that you've... I'm not talking about like areas of improvement, folks. I'm talking about great disruptors where it's challenging the centrality of the word of God in your heart. Not like, well, you know, I'm just trying to be nicer to people. I'm talking about great disruptions. I know today that some of you are like, man, I've just had things just come up right now in my heart. And I, I'm like, 
I know what God's dealing with me about. And I want to take a few minutes here and respond to that and just say, Lord, it's evident that these are things in my heart. Places of trust, places of identity, places where you might not even consider something. That's the whole point of Revelation and the Holy Spirit, right? It's saying, hey, I know you haven't thought about it for 30, 40, 50 years, but how about this? And you're like, oh. And you're in denial for a while. You're like, no, I don't have a problem with that. And he's relentlessly saying, I want to just start the process today and invite you to just invite God in and acknowledge this is what you're doing. Do a work, Lord. I'm willing. I'm surrendered. Come on, let's pray. You just pray with the Lord right now. Just talk to him about these things. Invite him to come in and start this work. This is not just for immature Christians. It's those who have been saved for decades. And God is saying, now is the season. Tis the season to deal with these things and move on in maturity and stature and strength. Lord, we just lift our hearts up. We thank you so much for the opportunity to see and understand in all our pursuits. Gets, we seek wisdom. We seek understanding. We seek how the word applies to our hearts. And we're saying, Lord, you've spoken by your Holy Spirit. You speak to us constantly. Even when we don't want to hear it, we just know deep down inside what we need to do. And I am praying now we just yield our hearts and our ways to you Lord God be our vision be our God be our comforter be our our truth and our light light the path before us make the path clear and straight pray you release love to deal with fear today Come on, now just talk to the Lord. Let's work this through.